Please open the Word of God to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking this morning at verses 34 through 38. Once you've found that, I'll invite you please to stand for the reading of God's Word. And calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. God, we know that you have a clear message for us in these verses. God, but if you don't help us, we won't understand it. We won't accept it. We won't receive it. So God, please now by your Spirit, help me. Help me to speak clearly what it is that you want to say. Forgive me of lust or greed or any impurity in me that would keep me from being fit to be used by you in these moments. Forgive me, God. I, I pray that you would help each person to have ears to hear, a heart that is sensitive to the Word of God, that they wouldn't turn a deaf ear to it, and they wouldn't shut it out, but they would receive what it is that you want to say for the benefit of their own eternal soul. Please come now in these moments. Speak for your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. To get the information you're looking for, you have to ask the right question. Let me give you an example. If you ask somebody, are you okay? You'll probably get a very gener uh, generic reply that doesn't really tell you very much. Well, yeah, I'm okay. Well, you haven't really learned much, truthfully. You may have to get a little more specific. You may have to ask better questions if you really want to know what's going on with somebody. You may have to ask, hey, how's your arthritis these days? Or have you been feeling depressed? How are things at work? You've got to ask better questions if you really want to get the information you're looking for. It's the same thing when it comes to asking about someone's spiritual condition. If you ask, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Or even, are you saved? It's easy for a person just to say yes. But you know what? You really haven't learned anything. You really haven't learned anything about that person's real spiritual condition. Are you spiritually okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Well, that doesn't really tell you anything. To find out what you want to know, you've got to ask a better question. What's a better question? This is a better question. 
Do you follow Jesus? Are you actively living your life as a follower of Jesus? That's a better question. That comes closer to what we really want to know when we're talking about somebody's spiritual condition. You see, because not everybody that says they're a Christian is going to heaven. To be a Christian, according to the dictionary definition, just means you claim to be part of a religion that's Christian-based. Well, not everybody that claims to be Christian is going to heaven. You know who's going to heaven? Those who follow Jesus. Actively are following Jesus. That's really what we want to know. I, I, I don't want to ask you, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you believe in Jesus? I want to know, are you actively living your life as a follower of Jesus? So the question we have to answer is this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Our scripture passage for this morning tells us. But if I could sum it up in one sentence, this is how it would be. Followers of Jesus sacrifice their earthly lives to Jesus to receive eternal life from Jesus. Let me say that again. Followers of Jesus sacrifice their earthly lives to Jesus to receive eternal life from Jesus. Now the passage we're looking at in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we're coming to a point in the study of Mark's Gospel where there's a shift. So far, we've been seeing the ministry of Jesus to the people. Well, beginning now at the end of chapter 8, we begin to see the mission of Jesus rather than the ministry of Jesus. In other words, the shift in focus is turning toward the cross, which was Jesus' mission. That's why Cain. Jesus, if you remember last week, has just told His disciples that He's going to suffer and He's going to die and then He's going to rise again. And if you remember, Peter instantly rebuked Jesus and said, oh, oh no, you're the Christ. You're, you're the promised King. That's not the way this is supposed to go. You can't die. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You see, there's something Jesus knew. Jesus knew the road to the kingdom goes through Calvary. He knew the road to the kingdom of God goes through the cross. Jesus understood that suffering comes before glory. Before He would be glorified as King of kings, there would be the suffering of the cross. And in the passage that we're looking at, in the verses we read this morning, Jesus is telling anyone who would follow Him that's not only true for Him, it's true for them as well. For anyone who would be a follower of Jesus, suffering comes before glory. Followers of Jesus must sacrifice their earthly lives to Jesus or for Jesus so they may receive eternal life from Jesus. Now there are two things we see in this passage of Scripture I want to point out to you. First, we see the requirements for following Jesus. And then we see the reasons for following Jesus. First thing, in verse 34, we see the requirements for following Jesus. And there are three. But first, I want you to notice this. 
Notice what he says in verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Okay, so get this in mind. Jesus is not only talking to the disciples, he's talking to the whole crowd of people. Everybody who's within earshot. What does that mean? That means what Jesus is saying doesn't just apply to those 12 close disciples of Jesus. It applies to anyone. Notice what he said. Verse 34 again. If anyone would come after me. Anybody. Not just those original 12 disciples. Anybody. Now why is that important? Well, because Jesus is talking to anybody who would be a follower of Jesus. No matter what age or time you live in, no matter who you are. The New Living Translation actually says it like this. If any of you wants to be my follower. Now here's why that's so important. I don't want you to think that what he says in these verses applies only to those first disciples. He's fixing to give us three requirements of being a follower of Jesus. And you might be tempted to say, yeah, but he was talking to those original disciples. He wasn't talking to us. No, 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 no. He's talking to anybody who wants to be a follower of Jesus. Not just the first disciples. Not just some special elite group of Christians. Not just those in ministry. No matter who you are, if you want to follow Jesus, he's talking to you. Now, what are the requirements? Here's the first one. All of them are listed in verse 34. You must follow Him. This is the third one, but I want to talk about it first. You see what He says, let Him deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow Me. I want to look at that first. Follow Me, because all of the others are based on this idea. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It involves several things. First of all, to follow Jesus involves understanding and obeying His teachings. You learn the teachings of Jesus and you obey them. You you remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Learn His teachings and obey them. Okay. Here's something else it means to follow Jesus. It means patterning your life after His example. Follow Jesus is doing what He did. Striving to live the way He lived. Follow the example that He gave. Here's another part of following Jesus. Following Jesus involves serving His mission. In other words, what He was about, that's what we're to be about. His mission is our mission. Listen, this isn't hard to understand. We understand what follow means. Followers of Jesus do what He says to do. They believe what He says is true. They submit to Him as their Lord and their Master in every aspect of life. To follow Jesus means you order your life and your priorities the way He would say you should. To follow Jesus means you adopt His agenda as your agenda. Listen to me. Simply saying you're a follower of Jesus does not make you a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus makes you a follower of Jesus. 
You're not a follower because you say you're a follower. You're a follower if you actually follow. So the question is, can you say that I'm striving to understand and obey his teachings, to live my life according to what he teaches. I'm striving to follow his example. I am seeking to make my life mission his life mission. I'm striving to order my life and my priorities according to the teachings of Christ in the Scriptures. You must follow if you're going to be a follower. That should be common sense. But now I want to look at the other two requirements. You must deny yourself. This is the first one he mentions. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This word deny, it's the same word used to describe Peter's denial of Christ. You remember when the Bible says Peter denied Christ? This is the same exact word. So let's think about what exactly did Peter do. He refused to acknowledge Jesus. You're one of his followers. Oh no, no, I don't know him. So think about this. To deny yourself would be to refuse to acknowledge yourself. Now what is yourself? It's what the Apostle Paul might call your human nature, your flesh. What does all that mean? It means this, listen. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you cannot be guided by self-interests. Your life cannot be guided and controlled and dictated by your own self-interests. Not if you're going to follow Jesus. You must say no to self and what yourself wants so that you can say yes to what Jesus wants. In other words, to be a follower of Jesus means you consciously surrender control of your life to Jesus. Jesus is calling for an intentional renunciation of your own desires, your own agenda, your own plans. Now when we talk about denying self, we're not just talking about denying things you want. This is not giving up chocolate for Lent. We're not talking about giving up something. We're talking about denying self. Your very person. Listen, let me say it another way. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to relinquish the right to live the way you want to live. Can I say that any clearer? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must relinquish the right to live your life any way you want to. In other words, you have to resign as the one who calls the shots in your life. You can't have two people on the throne of your life. It's only a seat for one. And for you to put Jesus on it means you've got to get off of it. You cannot follow Jesus and do what you want to do at the same time. You're going to have to decide who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow your own self-interests? What you want? Or are you going to surrender self, sacrifice self, to do what Jesus wants? If you remember back in Mark chapter 1, we, we saw when Peter and Andrew, brothers, left their nets and boats in order to follow Jesus. Jesus called them to follow. What did they actually do? Let's think about it. What did they actually do? First, they accepted Jesus' complete authority over their lives. 
How? Well, they abandoned their identity as fishermen. They walked away from the boats and the nets and their families. They left it all to do what Jesus said to do. They left the Sea of Galilee and permanently attached themselves to Jesus. In other words, they sacrificed their desires for his desires. They sacrificed their agenda for his agenda. They sacrificed their plans for his plans. If you won't do that, you can't be a follower of Jesus. Very simple. If anyone would come after me, would follow me, let him deny himself. Here's the third requirement. You must take up your cross. What does that mean? The, the phrase taking up your cross refers to a practice. When a person would be condemned to die, when someone was going to be crucified, they made that person carry the horizontal cross beam up to the place where they would be crucified. They would put it on their shoulders and they had, it's heavy. I mean, it's a huge log. And, and they would have to carry it on their shoulders. And if you remember when Jesus, they put it on him, he carried it. He was so weak from the beatings and all, they had to actually get somebody else to carry, carry it the rest of the way. This is what it means to take up your cross. It means it comes from the idea of that, taking that cross beam and carrying it to the place of crucifixion. That's intended as a walk of shame. It's intended to shame you as you walk toward the cross. This is something you and I need to understand. Crucifixion was regarded as the most shameful way of death. It was not something used on just anyone. Crucifixion was reserved for slaves, rebels against Rome, those guilty of high treason. The cross, listen, the cross was a picture of shame. Taking up your cross means the willingness to endure shame. But it also is not a picture of only shame, it's a picture of great suffering. Listen, we don't need to try to soften what this means when we talk about taking up your cross. Jesus' words here are intended to strike a hard blow. Take up your cross. To the person listening in his day, that only meant one thing. Sometimes we'll, we'll soften that. We'll say, well, you know, I got a nagging mother-in-law, but that's just my cross to bear. That is not at all what that means. Understand, a cross in the first century only meant one thing. It's an instrument of cruel torture and death. That's all it was. So when Jesus talks about being willing to take up your cross, this is more than just saying you got to be willing to endure hardship. It's more than that. Listen, for Jesus, the road to glory was a road of suffering and shame. He had to go to the cross. And what he's saying here is, anyone who wants to follow me has to be willing to walk that same road, a road of shame and suffering. Now, for you and I taking up our cross... It would include lesser forms of suffering like ridicule. You know, society might ridicule us for following Jesus or for believing what we believe. It would include lesser forms of suffering like that. But ultimately, taking up your cross means that you follow Jesus faithfully even if it means you must sacrifice your life. 
Jesus says, if you're not willing to die for me, you cannot follow me. If you're not willing to face suffering and shame for my name, then you can't follow me. Why? If you're going to go where Jesus goes, that road is a road of shame and suffering. If you're going to follow Him, that's the road. That's the road. Now do you understand why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the way that leads to heaven is narrow. And few there are that find it. Why? Because it's a hard road. Listen to me, friend. A follower of Jesus embraces the truth about Jesus. The truth, the way it's taught in the Bible. And he rejects any beliefs or perspectives or worldviews that are not consistent with the Bible. We live in a society that their viewpoints and perspectives and ideas and beliefs are largely contrary to the Bible. Modern society. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to embrace the teachings of Scripture and reject the teachings and ideas and beliefs of this world. A follower of Jesus lives according to the morals and values of Jesus as described in the Bible. And she rejects anything that's contrary to the morals and values of the Scripture. Followers of Jesus serve Christ's mission in this world and they avoid anything that would undermine that mission. Look, let, let, me, let me try to boil this down to this. To follow Jesus is to order your life in all of its aspects according to the Bible as it's interpreted through Jesus. To order your life in all its aspects according to the teachings of Scripture. If you will not do that, if you refuse to do that, you can't be a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you something? You won't be willing to order your life according to the Scripture. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to deny yourself. The only way you can follow Jesus is if you're willing to deny yourself. The only way you can follow Jesus is if you're willing to endure some shame and suffering. If you're not willing to do those things, you can't follow. It boils down to this. Jesus makes an absolute claim of the allegiance of anyone would be, who would be his follower. If you're going to follow Jesus, he makes a 100% claim on your allegiance. It can't be divided. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. That's the requirements of following Jesus. Next, I want you to see the reasons. What are the reasons? Why should anyone do that? Why would anyone deny themselves, be willing to suffer shame and suffering and follow Jesus, order your life according to his life? Why would anyone be willing to do that? In verses 35 through 38, we find out. Being a follower of Jesus, as you can already tell, is a serious matter. Listen, being a follower of Jesus is not about some superficial religious experience you had once upon a time. That doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is an absolute surrender of your life to Jesus. 
And here's why you should do that. First, you should do it to save your life. Verse 35. Look what it says. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it mean to save your life? What he talked about here. He talks about losing your life or saving your life. Saving your life means seeking to preserve your earthly life. He said, whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, if your concern is to preserve your earthly life, you don't want to suffer. You don't want to sacrifice your, your earthly life for Jesus. You want to live the way you want to. You're not willing to die for Jesus. That's what he's talking about. If that's you, if, if, you're, if you want to save your earthly life, then you're going to lose your life. But, watch what he says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So what does he mean by losing your life? He means the person who is willing to sacrifice his earthly life for the sake of Jesus and the message of the gospel. So let me get this in your mind. The person who is concerned about saving his earthly life, preserving his earthly life as his own, to live the way he wants to, refusing to face suffering and death for Jesus. He says that person who wants to save his earthly life is going to lose eternal life. But the person who's willing to sacrifice their earthly life, they're willing to let Jesus have control of their earthly life. They're willing to give up control of their earthly life, do what He wants instead of what they want. They're willing to face shame and suffering for Him, even if it means death. The person who's willing to lose their earthly life will gain eternal life. In other words, the reason someone would follow Jesus is to save their life for eternity. If you're more concerned about preserving your earthly life, then you're going to lose eternal life. Why would you be such a fool and do that? The only way to save your life for eternity is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Why should you sacrifice your earthly life to follow Jesus first to save your life? Here's the second reason. It has to do with the value of a soul. The value of your soul is the second reason you ought to sacrifice your earthly life to follow Jesus. Look at verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is a rhetorical question. The best way to understand what a rhetorical question means is to turn it into a statement. Here's, what we, here's how we would do that. It doesn't profit a man anything to gain the world and forfeit his soul. That's the point. Listen, suppose you gain all of the privilege all of the advantage, all of the reputation, all of the comfort, all of the fame, all of the power, all of the riches this world has to offer, suppose you get all of it. 
those are the things that self is after. Those are the things that your earthly self wants. Suppose you get all of it. What good is all of that going to do you if you die and you forfeit eternal life and spend eternity in hell? What good is having all that stuff? What good will it have done you in the end? Nothing. Listen. Having all of the experiences this life has to offer, having all of the possessions this world has to offer, cannot compensate for the eternal loss of your soul. An earthly life of riches and pleasure cannot compensate for an eternity of suffering and torment. He says it a different way, the same thing in verse 37. Look at it. What can a man give in return for his soul? Again, the rhetorical question, so let's turn it into a statement. There is nothing a man can give in return for his soul. Those who would refuse to deny themselves, those who would refuse to take up their cross and follow Jesus, they will forfeit eternal life and have absolutely nothing left to compensate for that loss. Nothing left to compensate. There's nothing you can give that's worth the value of your soul. Nothing is worth the value of your soul. Nothing you gain in this life is worth losing your soul for eternity. If you refuse to endure shame and suffering, if you refuse to follow Jesus, you'll be left with nothing but shame and suffering in eternity. Yes, if you follow Jesus in this life, you're going to have to face some shame and ridicule as you believe things the world denies. Yes, if you follow Christ, you're going to have to give up control of your life. But you know what you're going to gain? You're going to gain eternal joy and pleasure in the kingdom of God. You may have to face shame and suffering in this life, but you will avoid shame and suffering for eternity. Listen, the value of your soul makes sacrificing your earthly life for Jesus worth it. So sacrifice your earthly life first to save your life, secondly because of the value of your soul, and third to avoid future shame. Verse 38, look at it. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He talks about someone who is ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Who is someone who is ashamed of Jesus and his words? This is someone who is not willing to openly acknowledge their faith in Jesus and their belief in the gospel. To be ashamed of Jesus means either one, you don't believe in the truth of the gospel, or two, you try to mask or conceal that you believe it. You won't openly acknowledge that you believe Jesus and you, you follow Him and you believe the teachings of the Bible. Jesus said, a person who's ashamed of me either denies me outright 
or either they try to hide, they try to mask it to avoid persecution. They, don't, they try not to let anybody know. They try to conceal their belief. Anyone who is unwilling to proudly declare themselves followers of Christ and believes in the gospel, that person is ashamed of Jesus. Now, Jesus says there are those who are ashamed of him in this adulterous and sinful generation. What does that mean? What does it mean to live in an adulterous and sinful generation? It means to live in a place and time where the majority of people reject Christ and reject his teachings and live sinful lives. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly right. We live in a day and time when the majority of people don't live for Jesus, they live for themselves. The majority of people don't believe the teachings of the Bible. They, they believe whatever society tells them to believe so they can get along. They believe whatever makes them happy, whatever serves their own self-interest. Can I tell you something? People will change their beliefs in a minute just to have a happy life. If they can just get what they want, they'll believe anything you tell them to believe if they think it serves their own purpose. Why? Because their God is themselves. As long as they can get what they want, they'll go along with what society says. Oh, there are a lot of people who, if they tell you the truth, they really don't care much for homosexuality. Oh, but they'll go along with it because it keeps society off their back and allows them to do what they want to do and not be ridiculed. Followers of Christ must be willing to openly profess faith in Him and allegiance to Him in the midst of a society that's hostile to Him. The reason Jesus says you have to, you have to do this, you can't be ashamed of Him, is because you know following Jesus is going to put the rest of the world against you. When you follow Jesus in this world, you're swimming against the tide you're going to have a lot of people who disagree with you, and that means society is sometimes going to be hostile to you. You have to be willing to be faithful to Jesus in the face of hostility. If you're not, that means you're ashamed. Well, what happens to someone who is ashamed of Jesus? Look at the rest of the verse. Whoever is ashamed of me, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen to it. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not be passed away which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, what Daniel's describing here is the, the day when Jesus Christ will finally be established as king over all of creation, fully and finally. The day when he returns and the new heaven and the new earth is established, and Jesus will be absolute king over all things. That's the day. His authority will be unchallenged and it will extend to all people and all nations. So here's the idea. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back. All of those who are opposed to Him will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus will establish His full reign 
forever over the new heaven and new earth. Jesus said, if in this life you were ashamed of Him, then on the day when He comes back and establishes His kingdom, on that day when you stand before God, He's going to be ashamed of you. If you wouldn't acknowledge Him in this life, then on that day when you stand before God, He's not going to acknowledge you. In other words, you're not going to get a place in the kingdom. If you were not willing to stand before a sinful world and say, Jesus is my Lord, He is the Son of God, He is the only way to heaven, if you're not willing to live for Him, if you're not willing to acknowledge Him openly in this sinful world, then on the day when you stand before God, He's not going to acknowledge you. He's going to say the words He spoke in Matthew chapter 7. Depart from Me. I never knew you. He's not going to acknowledge you. If you try to conceal faith in Jesus, then you don't have faith in Jesus. Here's the reverse side of that. Those who would openly acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Those who are not afraid to stand before the world and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for my sin, that He's the, the only way to God and I give my life to follow Him. I believe the Gospel. Those who are willing to stand before a hostile world and claim Jesus as Lord. Those who are willing to face shame and suffering for His sake, for the sake of the Gospel, on that last day, to them He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Why would anyone follow Jesus? To save your eternal life. Because of the value of your soul. And to avoid being shamed on the final day. It, it's right back to what we said to begin with. Followers of Jesus sacrifice their earthly lives to Jesus to receive eternal life from Jesus. Now I want to leave you with this thought. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself. Take a look at yourself. I don't want to know if you're a Christian. I don't want to know if you're a believer. I don't want to know if you say you're saved. I want to know, are you actively living as a follower of Jesus? You can say you're a Christian. You can say you're a believer. You can say you're saved. Listen, none of that means anything on the last day. On the last day, what's going to matter is, did you follow Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you actively living as a follower of Jesus? Bow your heads. Father in heaven, I pray that by your spirit you would speak clearly to each person in this room right now. Oh, they know, God. They can look at their life. They know whether or not their life is, is 
patterned after Jesus. They know whether or not they sincerely seek to follow Jesus. They know whether or not they have surrendered to him as Lord and are dedicating their lives to his service, or if they're just living for themselves and have tacked the name Christian on. God, they know the truth. So I pray right now that anyone in here who's not truly a follower of Jesus, who is not actively seeking to follow Jesus, I pray that such conviction would fall on them right now, that you would turn them toward you in faith and repentance, that they would surrender themselves to genuinely follow Jesus for the rest of their days. I ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.